Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you, sinners sought and saved by the Son of Man. Amen. Today's gospel reading, the story of Zacchaeus, is a story about radical generosity. We see first and foremost the radical generosity of Jesus Christ shown to a sinner, grace and mercy abundant shown to Zacchaeus. And we also see the fruit of Jesus' grace to Zacchaeus, radical generosity practiced by a man who up until that point had been chiefly known as the person who took people's money. We're going to use this story of radical generosity today to reflect on our own practice of generosity toward our church. To give a portion of your income to your church is a normal part of your discipleship as a Christian. It's just what Christians do. And so today, we're going to talk about the offerings that we bring to support the work of the church and its mission to seek and to save and to disciple the lost. There's two questions that I'd like to pose to you today. Two questions that I want you to wrestle with, and my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit would give to each of us an open heart and also growth as we respond to these questions. The first question is, what should motivate my giving? And the second question is, how do I decide the amount that I give? To answer those two questions, let's return to our gospel reading from Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus had grown accustomed to ignoring the stares and the glares and the dirty looks from his neighbors in Jericho. At first it hurt, but he had made a choice a long time ago to sacrifice the love of his family, friends, and neighbors for the opportunity to get rich quickly as a tax collector. He had climbed the ladder of injustice and extortion at the expense of widows and orphans. He had become not just a tax collector, but the chief tax collector. Everybody in town knew that the richer Zacchaeus got, the poorer they got. His large home, his new clothes, his fine wine, his prostitutes, it was all their money, not his. But he knew the Roman tax system well, and he worked it to his own advantage. And so it's no wonder that that day, nobody wanted to let Zacchaeus through to see Jesus. Zacchaeus wasn't just vertically impaired. He was subject to the accidental uh, shove or elbow in the chest as he tried to press through the crowd. He wanted to see Jesus. Why? He wasn't exactly sure. But lately, things had gotten lonely at the top. It's strange how having money and booze and sex and possessions makes the hole in your heart bigger, not smaller. He'd heard that Levi, his old co-worker in the business, was now following Jesus, and he had also heard that Jesus kept company with people like himself whose sins made them beyond hope in the eyes of most. And so he did something embarrassing for a well-dressed man like himself. He climbed a tree. It's not like he had any respect from his neighbors in Jericho anyways, so why not? 
As a crowd moved down the road toward where Zacchaeus was perched like a bird in the sycamore tree, he was able to see what must have been Jesus. Zacchaeus kept his eyes on the man as he inched closer and closer. And just as Jesus was passing by, he looked up and locked eyes with Zacchaeus and stopped. The crowd started to mutter and laugh as they saw the chief tax collector, the object of all their disgust and hatred, looking like a fool up in that tree. Zacchaeus closed his eyes and winced as he waited for perhaps Jesus to join in the jeers and the taunts. Maybe Jesus would even lay into him and publicly shame him, just like the Pharisees and the scribes would do from time to time. But suddenly, the crowd got quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Zacchaeus opened his eyes to see Jesus staring at him, and not just at him, but into him, into his soul in such a way that Zacchaeus wanted to, at the same time, run to Jesus and run away from Jesus. And then Jesus spoke, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. The man who thought he was hunting Jesus from a safe distance in that tree had himself been hunted and caught. He didn't really have time to think of a response, so he said yes and hurried down to lead Jesus to his home. The crowds were speechless at first. Even the other sinners in town were were shocked by such a bold move. But then the silence turned to grumbling. Of all the people Jesus could stay with in Jericho, why this man? We don't know exactly what words were shared between Jesus and Zacchaeus that evening at dinner, but whatever their conversation was, something happened to Zacchaeus. There was just something about being in the presence of Jesus that penetrated the hardened and self-absorbed heart of the chief tax collector of Jericho. The low rumble of conversation halted as Zacchaeus awkwardly stood up and spoke with trembling voice. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Everything was silent for a moment until one of the guests, out of shock, just about spit out his wine he had just took a drink of. No one could believe their ears. How in the world could this man who was living off growing rich off the abuse of the Roman tax system, a man who grew rich from employing other greedy, seedy tax collectors like himself, how could a man who was a sinner, a man whose heart was more than two sizes too small, a man who Isaiah in our Old Testament reading today would have condemned for having hands stained red with injustice, how could this man so suddenly part with his wealth, with his very God? Everybody was silent. Nobody knew what to say. They looked at each other, wondering if maybe this was an exaggeration or some kind of joke, or maybe Zacchaeus was drunk until Jesus proclaimed the reality of what had happened that day. Jesus declared in front of everyone, today salvation has come to this house since he, pointing at Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Jesus confirmed that the unthinkable, in fact, the impossible had happened. The camel had really gone through the eye of the needle. A sinner strangled lifeless by the idol of riches had been released by the Savior, had entered into the kingdom of God like a little child, and now freely gave back what he had stolen and then some. A man who once used people to get money now used his money to bless people as he himself had been blessed. So now, back to our two questions. What should motivate the money I give to my church? And how should I decide the amount that I give to my church? How you answer these two questions depends on who you identify with in the gospel reading today. Do you identify with the crowds who hold Jesus at a safe distance and grumble at his dining with sinners? Or do you identify with Zacchaeus, the sinner who was lost and strangled in the tight grip of his sin, truly on the highway to hell, until the friend of sinners sought you and saved you at the expense of his own life? Regardless of how much money you have or don't have, regardless of whether you have money to spare or you're living a little bit behind paycheck to paycheck, who you identify with in this story will shape why you give and the amount that you give. Let's look at our first question. I want you to think with me. What motivates your giving? What are some of the motivations that we might have for giving to our church? Maybe for us, it's just a habit. It's something that we do because it's normal and it's expected of us. We saw our parents or our grandparents do it, and so we do it maybe without even thinking. Perhaps we give because we see some need or have some goal for our church, maybe a new organ or a new sound system or the practical necessity of light and heat when we come to church. To be honest, maybe we give out of guilt, trying to make up for some past sins. Or maybe we give because we think our gift will get us closer to God, or maybe he's going to be more likely to listen to our prayers. Or it may be that we give because the offering plate is coming down the aisle, and everybody else is putting something in, and we don't want to look like we're not putting anything in, and so we reach in, grab a couple dollars, and throw it in. But why does Zacchaeus give? I will tell you why Zacchaeus gave. Zacchaeus gave because Jesus saw him, sinner that he was, and reached out to welcome him when no one else would. That is why Zacchaeus gave. Zacchaeus was motivated by the extravagant, surprising, over-the-top, unexpected, and more than we could ever dare to expect or deserve grace and love of Jesus Christ. And so, what should motivate you to give? This past week, I took some time to stand and read the many sticky notes in our narthex that we posted during our sermon last week with reflections on what we learned and how we grew in our Romans sermon series. It was a moving experience for me to read these, but one of them in particular grabbed my attention and, to be honest, almost made me tear up. 
Reflecting on our Romans sermon series, one of you wrote this. You wrote five words. While we were yet sinners. I can't get over the fact that God could love someone like me that much. And friends, that is exactly what motivates our giving. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we had nothing to offer God except our sin, Jesus gave us everything and then some. We give for the same reason that Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus, I believe, could not get over the fact that Jesus would love someone like him even when he was still a sinner. And so, friends, when we give with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ as our motivation, our giving is no longer a thing that we dread or a thing that we avoid or a thing that we forget to do or a thing where we give the least amount that we can or a thing we get annoyed at the pastor for talking about. Instead, our giving is a way of saying to God, I understand and I accept your goodness and I want to share it with others. It means that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just an idea that we hide in our hearts, but rather it's a reality we participate in and that we want to share with others. Our giving becomes a tangible way of saying to God, God, I trust the good news of a Savior who relentlessly seeks and saves the lost. And now that I've been found by him, I want to join in this mission of seeking and saving and discipling those who are still lost. This is what motivates our giving and nothing else. But with that established, we move on to our second question. How do we determine the actual amount? We may have a set amount that's pretty comfortable for us. It doesn't really hurt us too much to throw in a $20 bill each Sunday. We may spend the money that we have during the month on the things that we consider necessities, and if there's anything left over, then we might contribute. We may hold on to our money and wait until the church is falling short and sounds the alarm and says we need help in reaching the end of the year. We may not put much thought into it at all. We may just happen to be in church and the plate's being passed and we drop in some of that discretionary spending money, the cash that we keep on hand for incidental things like ice cream or coffee in the moment. Or we may strive for a biblical standard, the tithe, meaning 10% of our income. The New Testament never commands a specific amount, but many Christians consider the tithe from the Old Testament to be a good percentage to aim for. But even a tithe can get complacent. Getting the amount right doesn't necessarily mean our hearts are right. And I think that's part of what Isaiah is getting at in our Old Testament reading today about vain offerings. As we think about the amount that we give, it's helpful to ask ourselves, how did Zacchaeus arrive at the amount that he gave? What was going through his mind as he decided to give half of his goods to the poor and then also pay back fourfold whatever he had cheated? How did he arrive at that decision? Now, I can understand why Zacchaeus gave back the amount he had cheated and then a little bit more. 
He probably knew offhand the names and the faces in Jericho that he had cheated, and so returning the money was a sign that his repentance was real. But what's interesting to me is that the extra amount that he gives is far more than what was required to make restitution. In the Old Testament, in both the books of Leviticus and Numbers, God's law required that what was stolen would be returned with an extra fifth added to make restitution. But notice that Zacchaeus chooses a much greater amount. He chooses not to give back an extra fifth, but fourfold, which is crazy generous. And so how did Zacchaeus come up with such an extravagant amount? I believe that Zacchaeus determined the amount that he gave back on the basis of the amount of grace that he was given. An amount of grace that was rich, extravagant, even risky in its abundance. But how did Zacchaeus come up with the idea to give half of his goods as a donation to the poor? I think it's worth noting that as far as we can tell, Jesus never required Zacchaeus to do this. Jesus did ask the rich ruler in chapter 18 of Luke's gospel to sell all of his possessions, to give to the poor, and to come follow Jesus. But then he declines Jesus' invitation and leaves without even trying to barter for maybe half or a quarter or an eighth. In that case, the camel does not go through the eye of the needle and a sinner remains strangled in his own greed. But in the case of Zacchaeus, Jesus asks for nothing from him, as far as we can tell. But Zacchaeus freely volunteers half of his goods as an offering to the poor. So how do we determine the amount that we give? Friends, I think the point is this. With Zacchaeus and you and me, the decision of how much we should give stands in direct relationship to how much Jesus has given to us. When we consider how much we give, we ought to determine that number from a place of prayerful reflection on what Jesus has freely given to us so that the amount we give reflects that we understand his grace and we are committed to sharing it with others in sacrificial ways. In other words, when we determine what our regular offering will be, we always start and end at the cross. Kneeling at the cross, looking up toward the limitless love and grace that our Lord has shown us from that place, it's from there that we determine what we will give. Also that we who have been sought and saved by the Son of Man can share in the work of seeking and saving those who are still lost. Before we close in prayer, I have a couple questions I want us to ponder, and feel free to write these down and reflect on them, perhaps even journal on them later. But I want us to think about these questions because our spiritual growth is often instigated by questions posed to us uh, in God's Word. And so I encourage you to approach these questions with an open heart. First question is, what currently motivates my giving? If it's not God's grace and mercy, 
what would it look like for my giving to be motivated by his grace and mercy? How might starting from that place transform the way I approach this invitation from God? And next, if I currently do not give anything to my congregation, why is this? How might Jesus be inviting me to grow in this area? Once again, I encourage you maybe to write these questions down. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to give a good minute or two to each of these questions, but I do encourage you to think about them prayerfully later in the day. Final question. Regardless of my income, age, or life situation, when it comes to the amount that I give, does my giving show a heart moved and motivated by the gospel? What would it look like for the amount that I give to be shaped by the amount of grace and mercy God has shown me? Having pondered these questions, we come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the abundant grace that you show sinners like Zacchaeus, sinners like ourselves. As a congregation, Lord, we long that more people would be sought and saved by Jesus. We ask you, Lord, that you would melt our hearts into an offering to you, that all that we are be sacrificed up to you in praise and thanksgiving, used to your glory. Give us wisdom and discernment to be moved and motivated by your grace in our giving. Help us, Lord, to approach this opportunity, this invitation from you, not in fear or anger or offense, but to approach this opportunity in grace, seeing this as an invitation to participate in the work you've given us to do, the very meaningful work you've given us to do in this life. Lord, may your word sink down deeply into our hearts. May it lead us and guide us as your beloved and chosen people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.